Above180.com, taking your bowling game to the next level. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews and coaching to drilling layouts. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. This week we want to begin the Above180.com podcast by answering a couple emails. Again, if you have an email for us, Above180 at gmail.com, you can get that to me and Joey. And also on Twitter, we're at Above180. So follow us on Twitter if you got any questions there. We we try to address those throughout the week. Uh, Joey, how are things going today? Oh, things are going good here, Tim. Just trying to stay warm, uh, being down in the teens and... Uh, there's times it goes below zero with the wind chill here. Not my favorite time of the year that way. I would agree. At least the, the bowling aspect of things are starting to heat up, though. Uh, getting to your tournaments, getting state and city and nationals, all people getting their, their plans in, in line. So let's, uh, like I said, though, let's begin with a, a couple emails we received. The first one says, I've been in the bowling business for over 40 years and have heard something the other day that I would like your opinion on. I was told by my pro shop manager that static weights have no effect on reaction of the ball. I tend to disagree, but was out of bowling for 10 years and just started back up. Thank you for your time on this. Well, Joey, static weight, can you uh, address that for this emailer? Uh, yes, easily, but we have to do it kind of in, in segments. Uh, you know, I grew up drilling bowling balls in 1973. At that time period, Tim, with the products that were being made then, Static weights did matter. Uh, those balls had weight blocks inside. They were generally the size of a pancake, they called it. Then the cores would weigh, the weight blocks would weigh about two to three ounces total weight. So a half ounce of two or three ounces is quite a high percentage when you think about it. In fact, if you have, say, an ounce left of top weight after drilling and you have three quarters of that ounce on the right side of the ball, that has an influence in motion. Now we go, go, move it into the modern time, 2010, and these cores weigh, say, between 4 and 8 pounds. A half ounce of 4 pounds is insignificant. So there's where static weights have very little effect on ball motion. And I won't say no effect. I'll say 5%. And uh, when I do ball testing, Tim, if I say I have two of the same ball, uh, let, let's call it a storm gravity, and we pin the balls in the exact same location. One ball I'll drill with the CG, center of gravity, inch and a half left of the center of the grip. Another one will drill, pin in the same location, the CG, inch and a half to the right of the center of the grip. So one ball, in essence, has an ounce and a half of side weight. The other ball has an ounce and a half of negative side weight. Then I'll go throw them. It is a negligible difference in ball motion, but generally the ball with excess positive side weight has a touch more length due to the fact the ball retains what's known as axis rotation slightly longer. So answering that question again for this gentleman, there is a subtle effect of static weights, but not dramatic effect as in years past. Now, we move on to putting a weight hole in the ball. If we put a weight hole on the left side of one ball and a weight hole on the right side of the other, so both balls now have zero side weight, where the static weights are identical, 
And I should clarify, static weights mean stationary weights. It's on a balanced beam scale. So now, now again, we have these two balls. We put the weight holes in the side, so the static weights are at zero. But we've created a void in each ball. Now we throw those two balls. There is a difference in motion that's more than subtle. And it's not because of static weights, as we know, because they're identical. It's because of dynamic balance has changed on the ball due to the void we've created inside that core. Does that answer it pretty good, Tim? I do. I'm just curious. So I guess that means when I go to my pro shop operator, I should really tell, I, I got to communicate with them what I'm looking for in the bowling ball and kind of take their word and trust them as to what they're doing with the weight holes and, and static weights and that sort of thing, correct? Well, right. You know, the, the USBC still has rules in effect where balls must fall within static weight limitations of no more than one ounce side weight or finger weight or thumb weight and no more than three ounce top weight. But again, through my testing and, and some other testing by the ball manufacturers, they found balls that have, say, two ounces of bottom weight compared to two ounces of top weight, the effect of the ball motion is negligible. I was going to say, I've the, the only experience I've had with this is out at Nationals where they take you in the scale room and had had a couple times where they said, you know, this, is, this one is, is off a little bit. It has a little too much side weight. And, I mean, we're talking about, like you said, ounces and, and fractions of ounces and stuff. And last year, I believe it was, they said just take it to the guy, uh, take it to your operator, and just have, the, have them punch out a little bit more on the thumb because they didn't want to have to punch a hole in it. So I think that would be really where you run into this circumstance, correct, where you're kind of at, at a tournament where you need to worry about stuff like that. Totally correct, Tim. You know, and, and another example of how insignificant static weights can be, uh, l- let's take two hammer vibes both balls with the same pin distance from the center of gravity. Let's say it's a two-inch two pin out. One ball has zero top weight prior to drilling. The other ball has four ounces of top weight prior to drilling. So we drill your span in both balls. We position the pin right between the fingers, right above the fingers. And we keep the center of gravity right in the center of your span. Okay? So you can kind of get a good visual of what that is. Now, the ball with zero top weight before drilling now has two and a half ounces of bottom weight. The ball that started with four ounces now has one and a half ounces because, again, we removed two and a half ounces. So there's a big difference in top weight on these two balls, one having bottom and one having top weight. Now we go throw these two balls, Tim. There's no difference in the reaction because top weight or bottom weight insignificant because it's both uh, imbalance from top to bottom. As you, you can you picture what I'm saying, Tim? I am. It's a very good visual that you're drawing. So yes, uh, yes. Keep going, Joy. So the fact that the balls have dramatically different static weights, but again, one is a little heavier on the bottom portion of the ball, the other one's a little heavier on the top portion of the ball. There is no difference in ball motion. And another test I've done with some of the balls from uh, for Bowler's Journal testing is I will drill, say, two balls with identical top weights, say two ounces before drilling. One ball will do, use the same hammer vibe again since it's a symmetric core. We'll pin one ball right between the bridge, just like the first uh, example I, I told you about. The other one we drill the pin, say, two inches to the right. Now we go throw those balls. They both have, say, one ounce top weight after drilling, as an example. 
but the pins are in dramatically different locations. There is a huge difference in ball motion due to the flare created by the pin location. That is why dynamic balancing, which is what uh, another word for dual angle terminology is, is so important in today's game because it takes into effect the ball in motion, not the ball at rest. And if you look up the definition of static balance, uh, it means stationary. And, and it's exactly that. You put a ball on a balanced beam scale. You weigh different halves of the ball to find the difference in weight. And it basically tells you where the imbalance is. It, but it does not take the ball in motion into account. Whereas dynamic balancing uses the pin, which is connected to the top of the weight block or the core. And it takes into effect the, the mass properties of the ball, meaning if there's a mass bias, which all balls have after drilling. And it takes into account, again, these more, let's say, dramatic features of, the, of that sphere rather than just side weights into account. And that's how it affects the motion of the ball. So when your pro shop operator, you know, says to you, you know, Bill, you know, a half ounce side weight or a half ounce negative is kind of irrelevant. It's more where the pin is and what surface you have on the ball. He's telling you the truth. He's not lying to you. It's all about the, the layout, the texture of the ball surface that affects the ball motion much, much more so than if there's a little negative or bottom weight on the ball, which, which sounds bad, but it, in reality, it is not bad. So, Joey, could you ever see them, I guess, going from away, uh, away from rather at some of these major tournaments, having kind of the scale check-ins and that sort of thing? I mean, I know the PBA does it for the, you know, the same reason that the USBC does it. You want to keep some integrity to the game. But could you ever see the point of where maybe it, it kind of loses its usefulness and, and they maybe do away with some of that stuff? And then only maybe question if something looks really out of, out of you know, you can kind of like you, I can't because <laughs> you're more experienced at this than me. But you can look at a bowling ball and probably give it a pretty good, uh, you know, just a once over and say, look, this ball looks kind of kind of close to being, you know, set up a little little strange, correct? Well, for, for one, uh, let me clarify. You say the PBA does it. The PBA used to do it, too. Used to, okay. Years back, they used to weigh every single ball used in a tournament uh, to make sure it fell within the USBC, ABC at that time, guidelines. And they used to check the ball's hardness. And they even resorted to a, a period where they were checked every ball with a metal detector to make sure no lead was placed in the ball. A uh, number of years back, and again, we'll have to get a, a PBA representative on here to clarify this, but a number of years back when I started bowling some senior tour events uh, about five years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, they, uh, you know, I bowled a tournament and I brought the balls and, and they said, well, we don't really check the balls unless you qualify first, sixth, or twelfth, and, and you make match play. So in other words, they don't check everybody before you bowl. They don't care what you use. In qualifying for the tournament, you could have a ball with a pound of side weight. But again, if you qualify and you're one of those numbers, uh, you know, random numbers, and your balls are checked and they're deemed illegal, then they would throw you out of the tournament. So, you know, in a way, it's possible some bowlers used illegal equipment and just took their chances on not having their equipment checked for balance. Uh, the reality of it being, though, and I've thrown balls during testing with, say, two or three ounces of side weight or, or excessive uh, bottom weight just to see what they would do. And there's really no advantage, Tim. They almost roll worse because there's so much imbalance in the ball 
uh, you know, a la the word dodo ball, the ball doesn't rev as quickly, it doesn't roll as true, and there's no real increase in hitting power whatsoever. So, again, the PBA used to check. Now they really don't check. I'm not sure what they do on the exempt tour. Uh, my guess would be they do not check anymore ever because they realize it is insignificant when it comes to ball performance. Uh, well, we'll have to send an email to either Tom Clark or, or Jeff Riggles. He would know for sure. Exactly. And then getting to my second part with the USBC, since for our amateur tournament that we're both going to in Reno, they do have to go through that process of every every piece of equipment. Could you ever see them going away to something like that? Yes, uh, that, that's been in the talks for years now. Uh, a good friend of mine who used to work at USBC, Ed Bauer, had mentioned to me many years ago when he was still with up, uh, it cost the ABC at the time, I believe it was the year 2003, so seven years ago, it cost them about 250000 to employ the individuals in the scale room. Uh, now that number, I'm sure, is higher. Uh, and again, it's somewhat insignificant. As long as the balls aren't over maximum weight, uh, there's really no advantage, Tim, if, if you personally use a ball with two ounces of side weight compared to someone or even yourself using a ball with zero side weight. So they have discussed eliminating that feature at the tournament. It'll speed things up in the scale room. Uh, you'll just walk right through it, you know, so bowlers won't have to get there as early. They won't have to wait in line. It'll, and most importantly, it'll save the USBC probably close to $300,000 in the long run. Uh, and it's pretty much insignificant right now. Yeah, I wonder, would they go to something like Mimic the PBA where they just do the, the significant numbers, like you said? Because there is still that integrity. It would be nice to know with the top teams, I don't know where you would place that arbitrary number, you know, maybe say top 20, top 100, something of that sort. Uh, but, well, Joey, go ahead, right. Joey. Excuse me, Tim. I, I would think if, say, you're on A squad early in tournament and you shoot a big number, say a, a top 10 number, I would think then and there they would check your equipment now, say you and I, which we bowl in May, say we move into the top 20 or 30 places, maybe even top 50, I think just for, you know, like you say, credibility sake, they should check our ball to make sure, or every ball we had with us, to make sure that none of them. Now, there's where the problem is. Say you bring four balls, you use, you use your absolute inferno, and they say, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Berg, your mutant cell is a quarter of an ounce or an eighth of an ounce over on finger weight. And you go, but I didn't use that ball. You yeah, see? exactly. I, and, and how do you prove that, that you didn't use it, see? So that there could be some, some pretty severe consequences and issues coming up by not checking, see? Well, so they either have to check them all. Or check none, it seems. Exactly, and they did go to last year where they don't check you on doubles and singles. They only do the team squad. And they say, I guess you're in the honor system, I believe, Joey, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're supposed to, if you bring in a new piece, like if you get a new ball drilled up for doubles and singles, you're supposed to have that one checked. But I believe last year was the first year where they started where they don't check you when you're doing uh, your doubles and singles, your minor events. Uh, that I can't comment on because uh, last year I did not bowl. I, I ended my streak of 35 consecutive last year just because I uh, just didn't want to bowl last year. And, and I will be going this year again in May, as you know, a week before you. Uh, in fact, I'm bowling this year with uh, the all-events champ from two years ago, Ron Volks, the young man, uh, well, 
probably 50 year old man who shot 23 19 for nine games so he is the highest all-time right-handed bowler all events champion uh, because his score was beaten last year by a left-hander I will definitely be watching that on the uh, webcam video feed to see you guys bowl. That, that's a nice function that they've had now, actually, where they've started streaming a lot of the, the uh, marquee bowlers like yourself and Ron and, and the, uh, the uh, Linz teams and the Turbo 2-in-1 teams and that sort of thing. So that's really nice. Uh, red right. carpet well, lanes, yeah, yeah, I won't too. put myself in the class of Ron Volks and, and some of the other members of that team, but I'm subbing on their team this year. Uh, for my 35 years... I think my lifetime average is right around 198. And I bowled in some of the years when the lanes were awfully brutal, as you know. Uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, there were no high scores to be had. But uh, but it's been fun, and I enjoy it every year. I enjoy the challenge. And just a chance to bowl with a team that obviously could place in the top 25 positions uh, is a thrill in itself. And, Joey, speaking of the USBC tournament, as we get a little bit closer to the tournament, we're going to be having some guests on to help us out with breaking down the shot. Also, hope to have Jeff Riggles on, who always does a great job on his blog. And we will try to do our best to help bowlers that listen to the Above180.com podcast improve on their national scores because ultimately you want to bowl and you want to have a good time, but you also want to go out there and you want to score and hopefully make some money. So until next week, good luck and good bowling.